Are you looking for new books to read? Do you like finding a new special author? Are you tired of the same old books from the same old authors? Well then, welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where you can hear from fantastic new authors. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have worked hard to write great new books. Hear about their book and why you should check it out. So sit back and listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. If you have followed this podcast from the beginning, you know that I have tried multiple things. I've had readers on here talking about their books and what they like. I've had a couple panels where I've had multiple authors talking about a topic, a discussion. I've had chapter reads where the authors read a chapter, a selection from their book, and you can download it, listen to it like an audio book and check it out, see if you like it. I will include links to free stories if the author has them. Now I'm trying something else new, and I think it'll be of interest to a lot of readers, which is why it is on the A part of the episode. Uh, I am going to talk to Tom Holbrook, who owns a bookstore, about the state of bookstores and what new books are coming out, or what he recommends, or what he's seeing, various industry and bookstore topics every couple weeks, not necessarily every week, and we're going to see how it goes. Uh, I like to support the local bookstores, local community. And if you're in the area, Tom's Bookstore is a great one to stop at. If you're not, check it out anyway online. See if there's anything of interest. But if you have a local bookstore, go there. Buy your books for Christmas. Buy your books for birthdays throughout the year. It helps them out. It keeps them alive. And you're getting a great book on top of helping them. So uh, Tom's going to be on this episode. We're going to chat a little bit. And I'll have him back in a couple weeks. And then after that is Matt Hughes, who has written a lot of books. He has written a lot of short stories for fantasy and science fiction, among others, which I thought was really cool because I love fantasy and science fiction magazine. And he's written over 40, uh, gotten in the magazine. So if you have issues of fantasy and science fiction, take a look. Matt might be in that. So uh, first we'll have Tom and then we'll have Matt come right on. And I hope you enjoy this addition to the episode. If you like it, don't like it, let me know. Make some comments. Or what you'd like to see different. I am willing to try new things. So take it away, Tom, and then Matt. All right. So uh, this is Tom Holbrook. This is a new little thing I'm trying on the podcast for everybody. Since the first half of the podcast is for readers and about books and all of that, Tom runs a great little bookstore. And I thought it'd be great to get him on here every now and then and just talk about bookstores, state of the industry, and new books. So, Tom, uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your bookstore. Thanks, Stephen. My name is Tom Holbrook, and I own a small independent bookstore in Portsmouth, New Hampshire called River Run Bookstore. You can find it online. We're only about 1,500 square feet. Uh, we've been open for 20 years uh, over several locations, uh, some bigger than smaller, as the industry has changed because it's changed a lot. Uh, I'm also involved in indie publishing and writing, uh, so I have a have a finger in pies all over the place when it comes to to writing and publishing and reading. Uh, but love to read, love to recommend books, and love to talk about uh, story structure and writing also. Nice, great. Um, 
So today you mentioned you have some books uh, you were going to show. Uh, we are getting into the holiday season. It's right on the cusp of it. We're a week away from Thanksgiving. So uh, what do you have to share today? Some interesting items. Yeah, sure. Uh, I've got about Baker's dozen here that I'll go through from uh, youngest to oldest. And uh, then after, if you just want to talk about bookstores and independent bookstores, uh, happy to do Perfect. that too. Uh, not all these books are brand new, but they're just books that I, I literally just walked through my short store and grabbed some of my favorites and some new ones off the shelf. And uh, I'm happy to do this every time we get we get together. One of the great things about an indie bookstore is you're not uh, you're not driven by what's at the top of the bestseller list. Uh, it's uh, because you you have the opportunity to sort of see people one to one and sell them something that you believe in. So some of these are going to be brand new and hot and you'll be like, oh, that's going to be all of the bestseller list. And some will just be ones uh, okay. that I love. This one is both. Uh, so I'm starting with uh, Chris Van Dusen, who's he's a Maine guy, uh, state of Maine. But you may have uh, read Circus Ship or If I Built a Car or If I Built a House. He uh, not only has a, just a big, bold, fabulous, colorful style, um, but uh, all of his books are in rhyming couplets, which make them incredible read alouds. They're like they're like reading Dr. Seuss if all the words made sense. Uh, <laughs> so, um, Circus Ship, one of my all-time favorites, is about a ship full of uh, circus animals that sinks, and they all swim to a little main island where the zoo the uh, zookeeper is trying to get them back, but the people on the island are hiding them. Uh, <clears throat> His new one, Big Truck, also takes place on a small island, and it is about a really big truck that gets stuck in the main road, and everybody is late to where they're going to, and the kids have to figure out how to get the get it unstuck. Uh, another guy from this part of the country, Ryan Higgins, he is best known for his Mother Bruce series, which is uh, published through Disney and is phenomenal, if you haven't seen it, about a, a bear who ends up being parent to little ducklings. Um, nice. But this is a this is a book he did last year called Norman didn't do it. Yes, he did, uh, which I really love because it's about jealousy and all kids are jealous. I mean, all adults are jealous too. But um, Norman uh, makes really good friends with a tree, and then when a second tree grows up next to it, Norman gets incredibly jealous of that tree uh, and does something that he really shouldn't do, and then has to deal with those feelings of. Of, of guilt. So great book, funny. Um, and then, you know, this this is going to be the number one for a certain age group. Jeff Kinney's Every Year with the New Wimpy Kid book. And uh, this is Diary of a Wimpy Kid number 17. This guy has sold over 200 million books. Um, yeah. Your kids will be asking for it by name. So let me ask this, because uh, I know that is super popular. It's been super yeah. popular. Uh, do you see that same type of thing? Like, oh, that's big on the charts and I'm seeing the sales. Do you, or do you see sometimes, wow, we're selling a lot of this, even though nobody else seems to be. Do you, you get both of that our, at times? Our scale is so much smaller that it's a combination of both. Uh, things really are media driven uh, more than they used to be, which makes me sad as, a, as an indie bookseller. Um, I used to, you know, 15 years ago, I would regularly see people standing in the store with their head tilted sideways. We're on a podcast, so you can't see it, but I'm tilting my head sideways. <laughs> oh, I got to read to uh, put this on. So yeah. Okay, great. To, <laughs> to read the spines of books because they're just browsing. Um, 
last six, seven years more, uh, it's really accelerated that people are looking for specific books when they come in. And those specific books are often media driven. Uh, my theory for that, which I could do a whole show about, but my, my short theory for that is that people are reading fewer books. And because of that, it's important to them that those books be awesome. So if you read two books a week, 100 books a year, you're way more willing to take a chance on something a little unusual because you're going to read 99 other books. Right. But if you read three books a year, which is above average, I know three books is above average for the number of books an adult <laughs> reads in a year. You really want that book to be good. So you're going to read what Oprah told you to read or uh, Reese Witherspoon or the New York Times or your sister or a friend. Uh, so it is a lot media driven, not for kids books, because they have their own sort of organic what takes off. To, right. You know, Whippy Kid didn't take off across the country because of of Oprah. You know, it took off because kids thought it was hilarious and then teachers liked it and teachers told other teachers and teachers all have a secret network, uh, you know, to get this sort of <laughs> right. knowing what works and what what doesn't work. Um, we combine that with with books that we read and loved because as opposed to, you know, a bookstore in a mall or Amazon, we are actually talking to people one-on-one -on -one when they come in the store. It's it's the best part of the job. So, uh, so yes, it's it's heavily media driven, but we are able to sort of balance that out with things that we like. A great example of that, like I'm not a huge fan of Wimpy Kid. It's all right, but uh, but it is huge. But I am a huge fan of the Terrible Two. So this series has been out for a while. There are maybe five or six of them. And it's co-written by Mac Barnett, who I will tell you everything he does is gold. If you just want something that's fun and funny, just look up Mac Barnett. He writes picture books. He writes middle grade books. He writes a little bit of what, mostly middle grade and picture books. He's brilliant. This book is also heavily, um, heavily illustrated the way a Wimpy Kid book is, maybe a little bit less, but there's illustration every couple pages and they're wacky. And it is... Um, about a junior high kid who was the head prankster in his school and then moves to a new school where somebody is out pranking him. Um, great for great for reluctant readers. Great read aloud, super funny. Also in middle grade, this just came out, more of a Halloween book, but you can buy it for Christmas too. It's called The Vanquishers by Kaylin Bayron. She has several YA fantasy books that are really great, but this is for middle grade. This is for more like, eight to 10 year olds. And uh, it is set in a Southwestern town where there used to be vampires, but they were vanquished. And of course they're coming back and it's nice. a couple of school kids. It's up to a couple of school kids to, to find the old ways of defeating them and defeat them really well oh. done. Uh, Southwest. So it's a very different flavor for me, good diverse characters. Uh, and she sort of, she sort of mixes cultural identity with, uh, with the made up historical identity of the vampires in a way that it's hard to distinguish. It feels very organic, which is great. Hey, that sounds like writer. something I'd love to read. Thank you. Uh, here's another one that I don't have to do anything to sell. This is Rainbow Roll, who uh, wrote uh, Eleanor and Park, which is, so this is for teenagers. Um, she's, I don't know if you know the, Sim do you know the Simon Snow trilogy? No, I do not. She she did something that I had never seen before, where she uh, she wrote a book uh, that was about 
somebody who liked a, a fictional book series, um, say you wrote a book about somebody who loved Harry Potter, but it wasn't Harry Potter, it was something you made up. Uh, and the book was so popular that she then went on and wrote the fictional books afterward, not before, but after, and they're equally popular. That sounds a bit, uh, bit like a castle. Uh, after yes, the TV show, they did. It's exactly like Casper. Uh, and uh, this is not new, but this just never stops, which is Heartstopper for YA. It's graphic novel, uh, LGB. Uh, it's a it's a LGBT relationship in high school that is described really with humor and joy and not angst, <laughs> uh, which is much needed. Yeah. Um, Moving up to adults, uh, he has retired and therefore he is only writing three books a year. Uh, Stephen <laughs> <Right>. King, <laughs> his new one is is fairy tale, and uh, you know people will tell you that there's generally good King books and bad, especially recently, good King books and bad King books. And I haven't read this, but people are saying it's it's one of the good ones. And uh, you know he is a name brand at this point. He's not even a genre. He writes whatever he wants and. Yeah. Uh, I know enough to buy it because people come in and buy it. My, my son saw some book, uh, Mary Higgins Clark, I think. He goes, why is the author title bigger than the title of the book? I'm like, because she's what sells it. It doesn't matter what the book's about or what it sells. Absolutely. A lot of those now, you, uh, especially the, the uh, thrillers like Mary Higgins Clark or J.D. Robb or those, you can barely even see the image. Yeah. Like they might as well not even have the image on it. It's just the name and the title. And frankly, that's, you know, that's fine because, you know, J.D. Robb's on like book 50 of her series. There's only so many like people holding gun or or whatever image anyway. So right. people just want to know it's it's a new one. And I'm glad um, you said uh, fairy tale was good because I remember he did that dragon eye or dragon tear book uh, years ago that I, I never read. I started and I know a lot of people didn't like it. So I'm glad to hear this one's a good one. People, Yeah. Pe I, I hear back pretty quickly whether whether people like it or not. Uh, this is a real sleeper. This came out uh, in the spring. Uh, this is mainstream fiction. Uh, you know, Good Morning America Book Club. It's called Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. And uh, it's uh, set in the 60s about a, a woman who is a scientist, but was having a you know hard time uh, as with gender issues in the 60s in the sciences. And started a cooking show, but her cooking is is very chemistry oriented, um, and it's just a you know it's just a a light fun book that uh, Barnes and Noble just picked as the book of the year. Um, so it's already it got a lot of good uh, attention when it came out in the spring, but it's going to get a lot more. Uh, a, a trend I see, I always have to go back and look at sales things that sold well in the in the first half of the year that then died out just because that's the nature of things uh we'll come back at christmas suddenly everybody will be asking for it a lot of that is because people put out end of year best lists right so a book that came out in march and everyone has forgotten about suddenly is on somebody's end of the year best list and then everybody uh everybody wants it again uh one more fiction one uh this is called mad honey uh, this is also, uh, you know, I call it women's fiction, but I read everything. I think a lot of guys read everything. Uh, 
but the market is is definitely middle-aged women, and that's because they are the major demographic for reading. Uh, they're they're by far <laughs> the largest right. demographic. Uh, and Jody Pico always writes about some hot button issue, whether it's abortion or foster care or drug addiction or you name it. She's written 25 novels, but it's always set in a very character driven uh, novel. So she's great with character. And this time she is co-written with uh, Jennifer Finney Boylan, who um, was one of the first uh trans authors that I ever encountered. She was a, uh, I don't think she still is, but she for years taught literature at Colby College with Richard Russo, oh. um, post-transition, uh, pre and post she was at, at Colby. Uh, and uh, them writing together is is great. And again, another Good Morning America book club. Uh, I can't understate how Good Morning America, Reese, Still Oprah it used to be, I mean, Oprah used to be the queen of this, right. but uh, other people have, Jenna Bush, um, other people have found a niche recommending uh, recommending books uh, and on social media, and it really clicks. Because like I say, you only have to read one by Reese and really like it to be like, oh, Reese recommends good books, so I'm going to trust her. So, right, right. Uh, it used to be, your independent bookstore that you trusted and people still do, but um, really uh, in the, this day and age, it's, it's media. Do you ever do anything like uh, put a sign or stick up, you know, Oprah recommended or Reese Witherspoon recommended or. You know, I, I don't because people come in looking for those books because they usually with their phone app, with the book <laughs> up on their phone. Um, so, you know, what we might do is, uh, you know, new and exciting fiction but it is not necessarily going to be media driven or like i just had a nk jemison display in the sci-fi section fantasy section um because despite her winning the hugo three times she's not as well known as she should be and she has a new book so uh you know that's how i choose to use my space uh but i don't see the point in big displays of things that people are going to come looking for anyway, anyway. that makes sense uh, okay uh, and finish up with the uh, three nonfiction ones. Uh, um, Michelle Obama, uh, her last book was one of the biggest selling books of all time. Uh, she has a new book called uh, The Light We Carry, which is a little less autobiographical. It's got a lot of story personal stories in it, but it's also more of a Brene Brown kind of like fix your attitude and go out there and get it and dealing with... Uh, you know, dealing with uncertain times. And I'm sure it will be enormous. Um, uh, every year, there's a good uh, rock and roll bio. This is Bono's uh, 40 songs, one story. Uh, this is obviously going to hit a demographic uh, since um, I, I still call All That You Can't Leave Behind the, the new U2 album, and it came out 25 years. Yes. years ago so uh i am clearly in that demographic of uh you know the the 40 to 60 year old uh both men and women would probably be probably be interested in this i am always like really and every year there's there's some rock and roll one that is that is huge last year there was an elton john one um you never know who it's going to be uh but they are always top 
top sellers. Uh, yeah. People like to read about their musical heroes. I, I remember uh, the back in the late 80s, the uh, Unforgettable Fire biography book. And I love that one. And I kind of laugh sometimes because you get these musicians, kids that are like 23 years old. And here's my biography of my rise to fame. I've been famous for two years. It's like, what do you got to say that I care to hear? <laughs> well, and and some of them, you know, I often wonder that more musicians and movie stars aren't novelists because they spend a lot of time sitting around. <laughs> um, no, ser I mean, seriously, especially yeah. movie stars, right? They spend a lot of time in their trailer. It, uh, and some of them do write novels. Uh, but uh, last year, Dave Grohl's book uh, was um, not only incredibly well-written, but he just did a ton of media appearances and he was massively likable. <laughs> just, yes. You know, and a lot of people, I don't think had ever heard him speak. I mean, when did you ever hear Dave Grohl interviewed? Not, not much, but he's been around forever. Obviously he was one of the biggest bands of all time yeah. and he incredible, uh, incredibly personable and nice guy. And people just ate that book. Up. Nice. Uh, last one I'm going to do. And again, picking one a little off the beaten path. The political books are endless, <laughs> just endless. It's just like, a tidal wave and whichever one I, whichever ones I bring in, somebody comes in, you know, wanting the other ones. So it's, it's a no win situation. And, uh, and most of them I feel like are just people trying to make a buck. Uh, or I often have a problem with contemporary nonfiction where I feel like it should have been an Atlantic article that they just padded out until it was a book. Uh, but I do sell a lot of them. And one that I wanted to highlight, uh, is called Lady Justice by Dahlia Lithwick. Uh, and she has been the NPR and other correspondents um, for Slate, New York Times, Harper's. Uh, she writes specifically about uh, the Supreme Court and she's super funny and brilliant. Uh, and this book is specifically about uh, how uh, gender things are playing out uh, in the Supreme Court. Interesting. Um, and that's for anyone who listens to like uh, strict scrutiny podcast, which is the favorite of mine, which is, uh, you know, about the Supreme Court. It's 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 high. It's intellectual, high level, but it's also funny and fun, which is a great way to educate yourself about something. Nice. Uh, so that was my 10 minute whirlwind 13 book uh, for now. Uh, there's a million books published a year. So, uh, you know. That's just the very, very, very tip of the tip of the tip yep. of the iceberg. In fact, that's one of the issues we have as an independent bookstore of small size is that the number of titles is just out of control. So it gets harder and harder to to sort of comprehensively guess what people are going to want to have, right. want, want to buy. Yeah. Well, well, before we go, let me ask. So it's coming up to Christmas season. Uh and I know everything ramps up. Have you seen people coming in to get more books because of COVID? And, you know, have you seen uh, some nice, nicer numbers maybe, or what, what's that state of affairs like? Uh, the sad truth is nobody will start buying for another two weeks at least, <laughs> except for some, except for some grandmothers. Um, it gets worse every year. It gets closer to Christmas every year. Uh, that said, uh, the COVID, uh, the first year of COVID, the entire supply chain was screwed up and, and packages that people mailed out at like 
first of December still didn't get there by Christmas. And so because since that, we have seen more people shopping a little bit earlier than they used to. But pre-COVID, it was a year by year sort of um, quest to see how long you could wait to start buying, which is maddening for retailers because right. you, you know, if I have 10 copies of the Bono book, and I sell them on December 15th, I can get them back in. But if I sell them on December 24th or 23rd, that's it. And everybody that comes in on the 24th looking for it is, you know, SOL. So, right. which makes less money for me. Uh, COVID has been good for our sales overall. Uh, and I think most bookstores would say that. We all thought it was going to be like a four month bump because everyone was stuck home. Uh, but everyone went back to work and it really hasn't, it's faded a little bit, but not much. So right. uh, it's sort of embarrassing to say that something that killed a million people in the country has been really great for my bottom line. Uh, but it's well, been really great. You know, that's a perspective thing. It's look at the silver lining and, you know, maybe it uh, jolted a couple people to at least say, you know what? I miss reading. I realize, you know, yeah. so that's exactly, you know. that's exactly what happened. And they, they started reading. They're like, Hey, I'm really you know, I really, I really like this. Um, but that still, and by and large, people will wait and wait until uh, <laughs> until it's almost too late, which in New England can be tricky with the weather, you know, uh, and uh, can be tricky with supply chains. And, uh, and so you just never know. And we prep the best we can. Um, but uh, when supply chains are working, turnaround on special orders is very fast. So if we run out of something, we can we can get it back in in pretty quick. Uh, and that that is as true for small stores as the big chains. Uh, so uh, that helps us compete quite a bit um, nice. because we don't have the hugest inventories, um, but uh, but we do have quick access to more books. Uh, so nice. try your indie first. Yes. And try I, them now. Shop now. Absolutely. I, I know I you won't. I know, that. dear listener, you will not listen to me, but please do your book shopping now. Little cat visitor. All right. Well, Tom, I appreciate you taking some moments uh, to talk with us. Uh, I'll try and get you back on here uh, every couple of weeks or so. And we'll see how things are going with books and what new books you have recommended and all that. And we'll, we'll uh, yeah. touch base. Like I said, there's no end of books coming out. They just keep publishing. That's awesome. All right, and I thanks love for that. having me. Yep. Talk to you later, man. All right. What would you like to know? Matt, what would I like to know? Welcome to Discovered Wordsmith. First thing I'd really like to know is a little bit about you and where you live, some of the things you like to do besides writing. Okay. I have been a professional writer all my life. I think I got my first paycheck in 1971. Okay. Uh, as a a reporter covering municipal councils for a daily in, in Vancouver. And I went into weekly papers, was an editor of a couple of small weeklies. And then a guy who just won election as a member of parliament in Canada said, would you like to come to Ottawa and ghostwrite my column for the local press in the writing? And I eventually said, yes, I, I tossed a coin after a week of not being able to make up my mind. And off I went to Ottawa, and I became the MP's assistant, and I was writing his column and helping people with their uh, pension problems and immigration problems, all of that stuff that MP's assistants do. Been there about six weeks, and he came in to the office and said, I'm seconding the speech from the throne. 
debate, which is a big deal. It's where at the beginning of a new parliament, the government sets out its whole agenda, and then there's a debate. And they always have a couple of maiden MPs do the, the seconding and the moving and seconding. And they picked him. So I had to write a speech. He said, write me a speech. So I wrote a speech, one draft. He loved it. He went out and gave it. It killed. And next thing I know, because of that speech, he's getting all these requests for come and speak to this group and that group because he's a great speaker because he's got a great speechwriter. And next thing I know, I'm being headhunted by ministers' offices, and I end up as speechwriter to the Minister of Justice. Nice. And later on, I went to the Minister of Environment. And I did four years in Ottawa as a speechwriter. And then I came back to Vancouver and I freelanced for corporate speechwriting for almost 30 years. And then what I'd always wanted to do was to write fiction, originally science fiction. Then I thought crime fiction was more my thing. And I started doing that towards the end of the freelancing. And then finally, I said, this is what I want to do. I was getting $200 an hour as a speechwriter in those days. And I was getting next to nothing because that's what you get as a, a new <laughs> author and a mid-list author. So I made a brave decision just about, well, just coming up to 15 years ago now, end of October 2007. I gave up having a house. I gave up having possessions. And I started wandering the world as a house sitter, which is what I've done since then. I've lived in 12 different countries and visited eight, nine, ten others passing. And it's eventually my pension came and kicked in, and I've got patrons on Patreon who help me out every month with some money. And I sell books and I, I take my old books and I sell them again on Amazon. And all of that amounts to a pretty decent living. As long nice. as I don't have to pay a mortgage or anything. That's pretty interesting. So how many fiction books have you written since you switched to writing fiction? I think I'd written one, two, three. I'd written, I think, four by the time I went out on the road. Or no, maybe six. So I've written 18 more since then. But most of my output has been short stories, novellas for professional markets, the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. I've had, I think, 42 in there. Oh, wow. Most people nice. would kill to have one. Right. But they liked my stuff. It's very old-fashioned fantasy and science fiction. Space well, I'm, going to, I'm going to have to go look because I subscribe to that magazine, so I've got some. So I probably oh. have some of well, your you've stuff. Probably seen, you've probably seen my name on the cover a few times. Yeah, I'm sure I'll have to go check. I've got a whole bunch of them stacked up there. So your latest book is The Ymir's Falcon. Why did you want, tell us a little bit about this book and why you wanted to write this particular book. Okay. We'll go back to my previous incarnation as speechwriter to the Minister of Environment in Canada. That department included the Canadian Wildlife Service. And the Canadian Wildlife Service had established a breeding facility in Alberta at a military base for peregrine falcons. And falcons had almost been wiped out by the effects of 
DT on their eggs and so on. Do you right. remember that? Yep, Rachel yep. Carson, The Silent Spring, a big book about it. So they were raising the, these falcons to let them out into the wild. In fact, a lot of them they let out into cities so they could keep down the pigeons and the rats. And then 78, 77, thereabouts, Canada was trying to sell a desalinization plant to an emir in the Persian Gulf, and they wanted to sell what we used to call a can-do nuclear reactor to power it. Uh, this was well before solar energy. And to sweeten the deal, they decided they would give one of the birds, the peregrine falcons, because the, the Arab emirs, they, they love falcons. So they decided they would give one. And I thought at the time, I knew that I knew the program because I was working for the minister, and I knew that teenage volunteers actually did a lot of the work with the birds. And I wondered what a kid might think if his bird that he thought was going to fly free somewhere is now going to have a hood and jesses on its legs and be in a cage to be taken out when some Arab prince felt like going out and doing some falconry. And I just filed that away in the back of my head. And it, it, you know, I made a note on my hard drive kind of thing years later. And then I thought, what the heck? I, that, that's a good story. The breeding facility closed years ago. It was a huge success. They repopulated the world with peregrine falcons, or at least Western Canada. But I thought, okay, suppose it was still there. And suppose along came the government and said, we want to give away your bird. And some... Ukrainian Canadian Alberta farm boy who was already having trouble with he wants to become a wildlife biologist now that he's worked with the birds and his dad says no you're going to run the feedlot just like I did and my dad did he just he's not going to take it it's one straw too many on the camel's back and he steals the bird and runs off into the wilderness with it and I placed it in a region called the Swan Hills of Alberta, where as an 18-year-old, I was conscripted to fight a forest fire. So I remember that area. And then I made characters and put them together, and they clashed. And then in the end, there was a resolution. Okay. And we don't want to give it all away. So how, what genre would you say that this is? Is it action thriller? Or you mentioned well, it's young adult contemporary fiction. That's what it, it happens today. It's really for teenagers, and it's just a, not a crime story, not a science fiction or anything, just regular story. Okay. All right. And do you know or can think of any other books that are out there that are similar so people who like that could be no. interested? Okay. <laughs> no, I don't. Okay. I know absolutely nothing about young adult fiction except I wanted to write this one. And it turned out that a guy I know in Saskatchewan, Ed Willett, a quite well-known Canadian. I know him. Yep. He had a small press. And some years ago, I edited six young adult books of his that were being published by an outfit called Koto Press. So I went to him and said, who do I talk to at Koto? Because I've got this YA. And he said, well, they're out of business, but I'm publishing things. Let me see it. And I gave it to him and he's now brought it out. Nice. Okay. And 
this is independently published through Ed or what? How's that? Well, Ed has his own press. It's called Shadow Paw Press, named after his cat. And I think mine was the second book he put out, and he's putting out another one of his own now. So he's becoming a, a small press publisher as well as everything else he does, which is podcasting and anthology producing and writing. Right. For, I think he's published by Daw mostly. Yeah, I believe that's what he and I talked about yeah. when I talked to him. And right now he's just formatting a new book for me, which is another thing he does, which is actually a reprint of one of mine from 10 years ago, science fiction space opera. And I'm going to have that out in the next few days. Nice. So do you consider yourself a hybrid author? You've done some independent, some... In my nutshell description of me is that I am a crime writer trapped in a science fiction and fantasy author's career. I started out to write crime stories. I won an award, was selling stories to Alfred Hitchcock magazine uh, and a very good online magazine called Blue Murder, which unfortunately died. And I had a crime novel from uh, Doubleday, Canada. But I'd written a fantasy I couldn't sell way back in the old days when I was just noodling it. And then I saw Warner Aspect was looking for just that kind of book. So I sent it to them, and they said, yeah, okay, and do as a sequel. So I did a sequel. And then I became recognized as a kind of heir to Jack Vance, the great science fiction fantasy author. At which point, an editor from Tor said, if you'd like to do one for us, we'll buy it. So I did that. And then I started writing short stories in order to raise my profile, because you need to do that. And I was selling them to fantasy and science fiction and Asimov. And suddenly, I was a speculative fiction author. So I kept doing that. But really, what I, I do crime stories set in space opera and dying earth fantasy settings. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, From a a family of minor criminals, so it comes naturally. (laughs) I've often said I'm the white sheep of my family. (laughs) I I don't involve myself in the crimes. I'll just write all about them. When's the next family reunion? You need some more ideas, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, most of them are dead now. It's all right. Well, that's even better. (laughs) You mentioned a, a book that Ed's working on. Is that the next book coming out? Got a little bit about that'll it. Be that out, that'll out. be out in the next two or three days, I think. Uh, it's called The Other. It's a space opera, and it features a fellow I've written, ooh, maybe 10 stories and four novellas about, called Luff Embry, who is based upon the characters that Sidney Greenstreet played, the big fat guy in The Maltese Falcon. Yeah. Fat yeah. man, they called him. and. This is my guy, Luff Embry. He's a forger, a confidence trickster, a thief, a middleman sometimes for other people's crimes. And he's extremely corpulent, to use the polite term, and a gourmet. And the reason he makes his living as a criminal is so he can afford to live at a very fancy private club in a city on Old Earth, which is a fusty, not very much remembered place. There were 10,000 worlds in this civilization. Very far future, totally uh, unlikely to ever happen. But he likes to live in his club and eat gourmet meals 
And when he needs more money, he goes out and steals or forges or whatever he does. And in this novel, he is tricked and shanghaied off to a very remote little planet, a desert planet, where they have a certain, they require people to look a certain way, and he doesn't look that way. And so he becomes a member of a despised minority, an irregular, as they're called, and put to work in a circus of freaks. And he has to figure out how to get the hell off this planet, which is not easy. And then he has to figure out who did this to him, who sent him here, and why. The book is called The Other, and I intended it to be the first half of a two-volume thing. I sold it to a a small press in Canada called Underland, and they were going to have me do the second half. I even wrote the first chapter of it. But then Underland decided she didn't want to be in that business. She was a lawyer who was dabbled, which is fair enough. So she sold her list to another outfit, and they weren't interested in the sequel because they figured the other hadn't done well enough. This was before ebooks, so it was basically a paperback, and that was all there was of it. It was shortlisted for the Philip K. Dick Award. It, it's a good book. Wow, nice. But without ebooks, you just don't do it without ebooks. And this was before right. they came in. The character, just from what you said about him, sounds a little bit like. This is Ozzy Boone from the Odd Thomas series. Okay, I don't know that. It just um, sounds a little bit like that. Reminded me of that. Yeah. Your your books, the Mears Falcon, isn't out yet. But your books, what type of feedback are you have you been getting? Obviously, if you're writing for the the magazines, Hitchcock and that, your short stories are doing pretty good. Um, Anybody read the Mears Falcon to give you any feedback? George R. R. Martin is a fan of my work. Okay, he, so no, no big names or anything. He gives me blurbs. David Gerald, the guy who invented Tribbles. Yes. He says I'm a treasure. Nice. Uh, and Rob Sawyer, the Canadian science fiction author, is a, a, both a friend and a supporter. And other people. You mentioned comics. There's the fellow called Kurt Busiek. I know uh, that name. He's very much in my corner. Nice. So, okay. yeah, I get... I get good reviews, and I get help from people like that, that they'll give me a blurb I can put on the cover. Beautiful. Uh, uh, you, George, Martin, George Martin is a great fan of Jack Vance, the late Jack Vance. And he's given me a quote from a book I did two years, no, a year ago. He said, Hughes does Jack Vance better than anyone except Jack himself. Wow. Which I was really that, touched by. I, I, I can tell you, I bet some of the other authors that are listening to this hate you right now because of all the great contacts you have. But maybe, and I know some people, I'm not a huge Martin fan and I'm not Game of Thrones, but I bet there's some people that would say, hey, uh, George, stop reading other people's stuff and finish the next Game of Thrones book. (laughs) I defend him if it pops up on a a Facebook page or something. He has the right to do what he wants to do. I mean, he's earned it. Spent I mean, his career working his way up to learning yeah. how to do this really well. Yeah, and absolutely. That's what our country says it's based on, and that's what we say the dream is that people can do. Yeah. So more power to you. So this particular book, it's a little different for you because it's the uh, teen 
But if you had a choice, would you like to see it turned into a movie or a TV show? Which one are we talking about? The Emir's Falcon. It would be a pretty short movie. It's only about 38,000 words long. Okay. A lot of YA stuff is not very lengthy. Yeah, I wouldn't mind. I can say without saying too much that right now some of my stuff is being looked at by very well-placed people in L.A., particularly a historical novel I had out three years ago, which I consider to be my magnum opus, my, my great work. And it's uh, it's one I waited 40 years and more to write, because mostly because it was very hard to research it. It's I'll tell you what it is in a nutshell. It's in the middle of the 1500s, a Spanish galleon, commercial galleon, coming down the west coast of South America, was shipwrecked on the jungle coast of Ecuador, and the only survivors were 27 African slaves. And they moved in on the local population of Indians who had been decimated by disease and bad abuse by the Spaniards as they were going up to conquer the Inca Empire. And they formed a new mixed society, and then they outfought and outthought the conquistadors for 30 years until finally the Spanish made a deal with them because these people controlled a river and the Spanish really wanted a port at the mouth of that river. And so they became and stayed independent for generations. It was a successful mixed, what they call a maroon society. Okay, nice. And uh, I think it's a natural for a TV show, like for streaming uh, 10 episodes or whatever, especially since it has a happy ending, which most (laughs) slave stories don't have. Yeah, but it ends somewhere before, you know, the whole story. You got that cliffhanger for season two. Hmm. Yeah, (laughs) you could. So, Matt, where will we be able to find your book? And do you have a website? I have a website. It's www.matthewhughes.org. I was a little late to the party. Somebody had already got Hughes.com. And uh, you can find me all over Amazon. I write as Matthew when I'm doing science fiction and fantasy and as Matt when I'm writing crime. I also have done a couple of media tie-ins where I was Hugh Matthews. Not too hard to figure out. Right. Yeah. Okay. And we talked a little bit about your next book, but for you personally, what are some of your favorite authors and books that you've read throughout your life? By Jack Vance. I saw that Jack comment. Vance. I figured that was going to be the first answer. And I, I, I'm sad that he is, I think, becoming forgotten by younger members of, of fandom because he was unique, had a unique voice and style, and wrote about anti-heroes instead of guys with big swords and stuff. Him, for sure. My actual reading for recreation is more, whoops, is more crime writing, suspense. Elmore Leonard, Robert B. Parker, who else particularly? There used to be, he's dead now, a a British author called Reginald Hill, who was just excellent at doing police procedurals set in Yorkshire, England, which is where my dad came from and where I house set. So basically... I'm reading a lot of crime and suspense. 
certainly a historical novel. Not, I haven't kept up with science fiction and fantasy. This is awful to say. I haven't really since the mid-80s. That's when I started to read crime. As I said, I am a crime writer, but it's some sort of fluky thing that I'm able to sell science fiction and fantasy. I've read all the, uh, all except Reginald Hill, I've read all of those. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I know that how good all of that is. Oh, I would also throw in Lawrence Block. Okay. I really like Lawrence Block, especially his scudder tales about the ex-alcoholic cop who becomes a detective. And those are wonderful. Nice. Okay. And you've traveled all around. Have you run into any bookstores that are like your absolute favorites somewhere? Because I'm a house sitter, I tend to buy my books in secondhand stores and then give them back when I leave because I can't take a big suitcase of books around. <laughs> right. I used to have about 3,000 books when I was settled, and I gave them to one of my sons. So he's got them. Favorite bookstore? There's Munro Books in Victoria, which was run by Jim Munro. He's gone now. And his ex wife is Alice Munro, the very, very famous short story writer, and I think by now she might have won the Nobel Prize for Literature. She's very good. Right. Okay. I'll make sure and put, besides links to your website, links to the bookstore and some of your favorite books, along with your book, of course. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, Matt, before we move on to some author talk, which we're going to talk about beginnings. Oh. One yeah. other thing. I should plug this. We're talking about Jack Vance and so on. His son, John has his own press. It's called Spatterlight Press, named after a, a Jack Vance story. And he authorizes a few people to write stories set in the universe of his father. Can't use the same characters, but you can use the setting. And he authorized me to write one called Barbarians of the Beyond. I did use that title because Vance had an early book called Vandals of the Void, so I thought I'd <laughs> do the same thing. Yeah, but what nice. it is, is a kind of sequel, or you could call it a companion novel, to one of Jack's most famous series, which was The Demon Princes. Demon Princes are about a man who tracks down five master criminals in a space opera setting, who together staged a raid on the community where he was a boy, and took everybody off into slavery. And my take on it was to say, okay, we know what Jack's hero did to kill each one of those or settle each one of those bad guys. But what happened to the people who were taken away? And so I made a story about the daughter. I've got a female protagonist, which Vance usually didn't do. I wanted that to be different. The daughter of two of the people who were carried off, who are now cooks and chef to a pirate lord on a very far-off planet. But she makes her way back to where the raid happened because her parents had hidden something there, which was very valuable, which they'd stolen. And she believes, and they believe, that if she can convert this into cash, she could buy them out of servitude. And she's been trained her whole life, as, since a little girl, for the job of going to this planet, getting there somehow, 
and finding that thing, cashing it in, and then going to the place where you buy and sell slaves, a place called Interchange, and getting her parents back. And then, of course, it doesn't quite work that way. <laughs> it never does. But it, it gets into the story if it did. Yeah. Anyway, it's Barbarians of the Beyond, and it's the one that caused George Martin to say, I do Jack Vance better than anyone except Jack himself. So I do recommend it. It's a hell of a, hell of a rattling good read is what it is. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. So, Matt, you've got years of experience writing. If an author came up to you and said, hey, why should I get your book, this new one, what would you tell them? The Amos Falcon? Yeah, yeah. It, if someone said, why should I get it and read it? Because it's a good book. It's a good story. It's about three different characters, very different. One's a farm boy. One is the son of an Amir, an Arab. And the third one is the daughter of a Métis trapper. And the story ends up in her trapping territory, so she's involved. They're all entirely different people. They have different lifestyles, agendas, wishes. And yet this situation of the, the stolen bird or liberated bird brings them into contact with each other. And each one of them, and this is the trick to doing good YA fiction or any good fiction, each one of them develops and changes because of the conflict and association with each other. And each one of them, I think, comes out the better for it. So if you want to see how to do young adult fiction, take a look at this. Take a particular look at how the characters develop out of con conflicting with each other. Because that's the trick to doing fiction is you have conflict. Characters struggle and contend against each other, against their environment, against their inner selves. And when you capture that kind of thing properly, people want to turn the next page and see what happens. Agreed. All right, great. Matt, thanks for sharing your book with us. I'll make sure and have some links for everybody that's listening to go check it out. Great. Hi, if you enjoyed this episode of Discovered Wordsmiths, please support the author. Go to their website, go to Amazon, look them up, get the book. And if you click on the link that I have in the show notes, you'll also help support the podcast so I can keep the hosting and all the software I use and uh, keep it running for, to help more authors. When I am recording this, we've got over 100 episodes, lots of authors. Go to the website, discoveredwordsmiths.com. Check it out. There's a lot of great authors, probably in some genre that you love. See what they have. Check out their books. That's what the point of the podcast is for. So people can discover new authors, find some new books they love, support the authors so they can continue writing. So please support them. And if you do like the podcast, if you've been thinking of podcasting or you're a writer, I've got some links also at the website. Click on those if you're interested in any of the software or services that I talk about. Everything that I have there is something I use. So I've got an affiliate link. Again, it's a little bit, if everyone clicked on those, if they were going to get it anyway, it helps keep the podcast going. So let's all help each other out, discover more authors to read. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you.